I love reading the Bible. I love studying the Bible. I find that every time I open the Bible, uh, God has something new to reveal. It is the best of all the books that have ever been written in human history. And one of the things I've discovered is that the more that I learn about what life was like when the Bible was written, the more truths are revealed through the pages of the Bible. Today, after the service, we're going to get together on a Google meeting. Uh, The link is down in uh, the comment section here uh, of today's worship video. And we have an opportunity uh, to ask questions about uh, today's sermon and the rest of the service. Uh, We have an opportunity to uh, share something that that we know so we can learn from one another. Uh, And we'll have an opportunity to pray together. Uh, So please make sure that when you are done uh, participating in today's service, you sign into the Google meeting and we will uh, learn from one another and grow as learners and disciples of Jesus. If you would, please bow your head and let's pray together. Almighty God, take our minds and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for our neighbors. Lord, reveal your truth to us this day. Help us to be obedient to what we've learned. So that we are not just hearers of the word, but we are doers as well. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. This Saturday, something truly incredible is going to be on TV. I mean, this is, this is one of the most incredible things you will ever see a human do. And it is this Saturday on your TV. Even if you don't have TV, you can watch it because it's on half a dozen different YouTube channels and, you know, Instagram and and, and whatever else. Um, Half Thor, Julius Bjornsson, six foot ten, 440 pounds from the island nation of Iceland. If, If you watched Game of Thrones, he's the character that they called the mountain. Hafthor Julius Bjornsson is going to pull a 520 kilogram deadlift. 520 kilograms. That's 1,144 pounds. That is a, uh, a middle schooler more than half a ton. And he's going to pull it off the ground. It is going to be bananas. And I see some of you are already questioning whether the the quarantine has gotten to my brain. No, no, no. Believe me, this is going to be worth watching. It is going to be incredible. I mean, it's going to take like four seconds. But it will be some of the most exciting four seconds that you have ever seen on television. And the lead-up to this event has been wild. Because uh, 
the current world record holder, Eddie Hall from England, who pulled 500 kilograms when no one else had ever pulled more than like 462. He's, you know, he's not too happy about half Thor pulling this world record attempt, especially doing it outside of competition because with the coronavirus, there are no strongman competitions right now. It's just this one event from this one location. It'll be like half Thor, uh, his wife, and like the official, and that's, that's all. So it, it's not going to be a typical sort of thing. So, you know, Eddie Hall, the current world record holder, is like, this isn't fair, this is wrong, this is bad. And it reveals this truth about what uh, rivalry tends to look like in the human experience. We don't want someone to surpass our legacy. No matter what we do, I mean, we may be the, um, you know, the accountant at our business and if, if we feel like the, the accounting we do is really valuable for the company, we don't really want the company to hire a new accountant who's going to be better at it than we are. We like feeling like what we do matters and contributes to the whole of, of what's going on. I mean, I know for pastors, there is um, an overwhelming uh, temptation to secretly kind of wish your ministry's better than the other ministries in town. There can be rivalries. And, you know, it, it can be anything. If, if you're the best social studies teacher at the high school, you want to continue being the best social studies teacher in the high school. We naturally don't like the idea of our influence decreasing. Which is part of what's so incredible of what we find here in John chapter 3. John the Baptist has had this incredible renewal ministry. And in John chapter 3, we find uh, that John the Baptist's followers are taking exception to Jesus taking some of John the Baptist's market share. They don't like that Jesus is John the Baptist's new rival. So a debate started between John's disciples and a certain Jew about cleansing ritual. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, look, the man who is with you across the Jordan, the one whom you testified, is baptizing and everyone is flocking to him. John's disciples are, are bothered that their rabbi's influence is decreasing as Jesus, who John baptized, as Jesus' influence increases. And John replied with a text that we talked about a few months ago about John recognizing this new reality and being happy about it. Because John knows that he's not the Christ. That his ministry, that his role was to prepare the way of the Messiah. 
I mean, this is an incredible text. This is an incredible story. This is an incredible perspective that John the Baptist has. And one that is hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around the idea that that whatever God does ministry-wise in our lives, it's not about us. If we share the gospel with someone and they come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus died for their sins, that they have uh, the assurance of eternal life with God, that ultimately it's not us. It's what the Holy Spirit has done and invited us to participate in. That, that if, if we have a, a ministry that is feeding people who are hungry, that are, that's sharing the love of Jesus, that ultimately it's not about us. It's about God and what he's doing and inviting us to be a part of. John goes on to say, that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. For the one who comes from above is above all things. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. Can you believe this humility that John is able to find? That even though he has had this incredible ministry of renewal that has prepared the way for the Messiah, When Jesus' public ministry starts, John says, my work is done. He doesn't fight it. He doesn't try to, to hold on to every last bit of market share. But instead, he steps aside and he encourages his disciples to go be disciples of Jesus. John continues that The one who's from heaven testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. But whoever accepts his testimony confirms that God is true. For John, this is not a a matter of, of, of power or influence or prestige. It's a matter of what is true, what is good, what is of God and what is not. And this becomes the foundation for what will happen throughout the rest of John's final speech in uh, the gospel according to John. That ultimately he must decrease so that Jesus can increase. John continues in verse 34. The one whom God sent speaks God's words because God gives the Spirit generously. The Father loves the Son and gives everything into his hands. Over the years, there have been lots of bad analogies to try to explain the relationship of the Trinity. Maybe you've heard some of them. Things like, the Trinity is like an egg that has a shell and a yolk in an egg white, but it's just one egg. Or um, that the Trinity is like the, 
uh, phases of matter, right? So you can have steam, and you can have water, and you can have ice, but it's all H2O. Uh, or maybe uh, the old uh, St. Patrick's analogy that uh, the, the Trinity is like a clover that has three leaves, but it's one clover. Um, and all of these analogies fall short. All of them fail to, to capture what the Bible tells us about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit in a multitude of ways. But the way the Bible talks about the Trinity is the Bible says that the Father loves the Son and that the Father gives the Spirit generously. The Bible describes the Trinity in relationship, a, a family relationship even. That it's not... That the Bible isn't trying to answer the, the question of, you know, who's the most powerful and how do they balance out their power. Uh, the Bible isn't trying to answer the, the question of, of the metaphysics of the, the, the members of the Trinity either. That the Bible is concerned with the relationship that the Father loves the Son. And as a father who, who loves his sons, this, this gives a completely different picture than the intellectual exercise of whether or not an egg tells us anything about what the Trinity is really like. Because this picture of a father loving a son, of a father giving his son everything that he has this is this is a different sort of picture this is not a picture that's concerned with who has the power and influence this is a picture that is concerned with giving all of oneself all of one's person all of what we have to the one who we love most. The, the nature of God, at least through the testimony of John the Baptist, is that the Father gives everything to the Son. That the Father loves the Son, that, that everything the Father has is given to the Son. That there is nothing that, that the Son is, is not privy to. There's nothing that the Father holds back and fails to release and to give to the Son that he loves. John continues, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son won't see life but the angry judgment of God remains on them. Disobeys. That's not the opposite of belief. The opposite of belief is disbelief. Why is John saying that he who believes will inherit eternal life, but he who disobeys 
won't see life. This is a strange kind of phrase that doesn't make sense to the way we understand how language works. Because the opposite of belief is disbelief, and the opposite of disobedience is obedience. What's John getting at here? Why does he make the shift from the intellectual ascent of belief to the transformation of will that is obedience? John's doing something really interesting here. And something that that for me, as someone who grew up in the late 20th century American Christian church, is a little bit disconcerting. Because where I grew up, we were told to believe the gospel. And that was most important. It was this intellectual ascent. Do I know that Jesus died for my sins? But John is showing us something here. That to know that Jesus died for our sins without allowing the will to be transformed in the power of the Holy Spirit is is a little bit of a, a meager picture of salvation. That God doesn't simply want us to affirm with our minds that Jesus is the Messiah, But God wants to transform our wills so that we can be obedient. So that we can live like little Christs in the world. And this is hard. These are hard words. Because, I mean, we grew up in the American church. We are a a learning church. We are a thinking church. We are a hearing church. But John is saying, let us not just be hearers, but doers. That it's not just about having our, our minds transformed, but our hearts have to be transformed too. It's about learning to love obedience. Learning to to love to do the will of God. Learning to embrace the transformation of our hearts and our wills in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son, has given the Son everything. And that they who believe in the Son will have eternal life. But those who disobey the Son, God's wrath is still upon them. Our belief in the Son must lead to the transformation of our will. Must lead to our hearts being changed so that we are the kind of people who desire to do the sort of things that Jesus did. It's not just a brain faith. It's a heart faith. It's a gut faith. It's not just the transformation of our worldview. It's the transformation of our lifestyle and the way we treat other people. 
It's a transformation of every part of who we are. For me, one of the temptations is to have a transformed mind without a transformed heart. It's easy for my knowledge to exceed my obedience. But what God is calling us to, even today, is to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Not only to have our minds transformed, but our hearts transformed as well. So my prayer for us is that as we leave this place in this time where we've gotten to worship together, where the word of God has been opened to us, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word as well. That not only would we have our knowledge broadened, we would also have our obedience increased. Not only would we be mentally assenting to new truths about who God is, but that those truths would be planted deep within us and would change the way that we treat other people, the way that we uh, care for them and show them kindness and love and grace. May our Lord Jesus Christ go near you to defend you, go before you to guide you, go behind you to forgive you, go above you to bless you, and live within you so you may love one another. He lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and even forevermore. Amen.